Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and today we're going to be talking about the Constitution DAO. This happened last week. A bunch of strangers on the internet got together to get into a high stakes bidding war to buy a copy of the Constitution. And it is as crazy as it sounds. So I brought over an entire crew to help us explain it. As always, I am joined by Alex Wilhelm. Hey, Alex, how's it going? I am so hyped to talk about this because it's a a combination of like tragedy and farce. And so it's going to be a blast. I know. I really thought GameStop was where it was going to stop, but it feels like that's just where it started um, the craziness of this year. We also have Anita Ramaswamy. I think it's your second week at TechCrunch and your second time on the podcast. So congratulations on that, Anita. It's great to have you. Yeah, excited to join. (laughs) And we also have Lucas Matney. Lucas covered crypto far before it was cool. So we had to have him on the show to explain it. Thanks, Lucas, for being here. I'd say it was pretty cool when I started covering it, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I appreciate the intro nonetheless. <laughs> okay, you, you you started covering VR before it was cool. Like, I feel like that's fair. I'd, I'd say it's still before it's cool. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it got cool? When? Like, did I miss something? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> there are so many different, like, rabbit holes for us to go down, and we will, but I thought it would make sense to set up this discussion by explaining what went down and why people were getting together on the internet to buy the U.S. Constitution. Alex, do you want to walk us through kind of a little bit of like the dramatic background to this bidding war? Yeah. So it starts off, I think, personally with a meme, which was Nicolas Cage deciding to steal the Constitution in a film some years ago. It's a medium quality movie. I wouldn't really recommend it unless you like break your legs and have to get through an entire like Netflix videography. Uh, (laughs) But the idea is that the Constitution is a neat document. And back in the day, they didn't just write one because that would be kind of silly. Because if you lost it, well, then you're out of luck. There's no cloud storage back in the 1700s. So anyways, they made some copies to distribute them around the nation to help kind of propagate the idea, to get it voted on and so forth. And there's only a couple of these out there and even fewer in private hands. So suddenly one of these is coming up for auction at Sotheby's. Sotheby's is like everything you hate about the East Coast and think you hate about the East Coast (laughs) distilled into a single room run by hats for Anyways, it's a place where you can buy things, essentially. And so this constitution was going to be up for sale there. And so some folks decided to build a DAO or DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, to raise funds and buy one of these several constitutions that are available. Perfect setup. The only other things I'll add is it blew up overnight and then for the following days in a way that was really hard to ignore, both for TC, a lot of outlets, and a lot of first-time crypto users and enthusiasts. So they got about 17,000 individual donations. And then the Discord, which didn't require an investment to join, aka why I was a part of it, has about 21,000 people last time I checked. So we started to see this argument really being formed around Constitution DAO as like, this is the way we're going to understand uh, how people are going to understand why Web3 matters. Then there was this auction. And this is where I would love to bring in Lucas and Anita because we were all in a group chat and live watching this. Lucas, start us off by telling us a little bit about this auction and, and what happened. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I, I've been pretty interested in NFTs the past few months. Uh, and what that has strangely involved is me watching a lot of YouTube live streams of either Christie's or Sotheby's auctions. Uh, and for people who have not had the pleasure of watching one of these, they are just... They're very old world, high society, fine, fine art asset sales. And it's the funniest thing in the world to see the YouTube chat on the right hand side of just like an endless stream of shit posting. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> it's just all these, you know, all, all these like Sotheby's auctioneers just go through this very like staid, tried and true process that's been going on for, you know, 
10, 10,000 years at least, I'm sure. <laughs> so all of this all of this happens, and uh, the crypto bros are on this chat, the Sotheby's high society people, and it's just such a spectacle to watch, and we all enjoyed it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like the gift that keeps on giving, because it was like this cultural moment for crypto, and we got to see that big contrast between the people they hope to one day convince to accept ETH, and then doing it for the first time, like hearing the guy whose name I don't know say that this is the first time in the history of this auction that we're going to accept ETH was pretty jarring. Anita, I know there were even some like fumbles that happened as they were first starting to get comfortable with that language. How did you feel watching that in real time as someone who, you know, understands crypto and has been reporting on it for for more than this past week? Yeah, it was really funny to watch those two worlds sort of come together. And while I was watching the live stream, I was also looking at what people were tweeting about. And one of the things I thought was really funny was that for most of the auction, a lot of people who were aligned with the DAO and supportive of it, like didn't actually know who was bidding on their behalf. So it took a little while to figure out, like I, there was this whole thing of like, is it Brooke? Is it David? Like which of these two people is representing us? People are rooting for one versus the other. And like, I didn't even know myself until the very end, like who actually won the auction. I, I was in just completely entranced by the entire thing. And the best part was I, I was also watching Twitter and a lot of people that were participatory in the DAO were being very declarative about who was their champion in this bidding war incorrectly. And then even after the um, the sale closed, uh, I think it was a 41 million gross before fees uh, dollar amount. They were still being like, yes, Brooke was our person. We got it. We win. Yeah. And there was this, this 10 minutes of just Twitter brilliance in which it was pure disinformation presented with good faith. And then eventually it broke <laughs> as to who actually was their bidder. And it turned out that the Dow lost after all of this time all of this work all of this money and the failed it was also an interesting moment just as like a making journalistic decisions because you know you're used to when a decision like this comes out you're used to kind of waiting for the primary source like you know in this case it would have been sotheby's would have been the best primary source or you're looking for you know whatever a secondary primary source which would be whoever won or whoever lost if there are only two participants but you know it's a situation where the dow you know, doesn't have one person speaking for it. Like, you know, in this case, they had like core central organizers who were like arranging all this stuff. But, you know, there are people who are part of it who are declaring that they had won. And as, you know, reporters, we were all on our Slack channel being like, you know, should we like, you know, we had like a, a template written of like, you know, if they won it, if they lost it, we're like, all right, should we publish? And there are some other publications that did publish CNBC, Coindesk, they both said that the, the Dow won the Constitution and they you know published a few minutes early. And then uh, eventually the Dow released a statement through its Twitter being like, hey, guys, we lost. And that was that. It was it was it was an like a very wild few minutes of us just being like, ah, no, totally. I, I feel like it like gave me it was like a learning lesson, I think, for journalists and also just like how difficult it will be if Dow's get as popular as the believers in them at this stage hope they will be one day. Like the fact that there was no specific source to go to, or even the argument that there was no such thing as co-founders. I think there was even controversy that there was even a core group in the first place. Like there, if it's technically a DAO, which everyone should be equal in some way. And so I feel like that added another layer. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'll write, write about DAOs ever again, but that is now something I am paranoid about is like who to listen to. Well, I will uh, drone on about one more aspect of this, which is that I think people have talked about DAOs as if they're really revolutionary in that all of the decisions are, you know, determined as a group. It's all open and trustless. It's all encoded on the blockchain. But really, that's not how they work. 
people just contribute money via the blockchain and the core organizers generally are people who vote on the decisions that are being made and a lot of it's just carried out very informally through discord which is on a centralized server so it's all just like you know stuff where it, they're like marketing terms that make them sound like they're really revolutionary but in some fa like fashion it's just like coughing it all up into an Indiegogo and then letting the organizers decide to buy the constitution. Yeah, but with less recourse, higher fees and more opacity, it's the way of the future. So my <laughs> question about DAOs as a general point, because in theory, I'm actually relatively bullish on them because I've been pretty critical of, uh, of public corporations diluting the rights of individual shareholders to have votes in what the company does. And this is a very popular start today, giving founders, you know, shares that have 20x votes, for example, of other stock. And so, I, I, you know, in theory, I'm a big favor of a little bit more democracy in corporations, but DAOs don't seem to have actually lived up to that, Lucas. And in fact, this particular DAO, I don't think even fully crystallized before the actual auction because they were in such right. a rush to get all the pieces in place and essentially to, to open the money bag so people could vomit cash into it. It wasn't really a DAO. It was more of a DAO in theory. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it all depends on deploying capital and how they do it in, you know, it, it, how they make decisions around that. But you're still kind of relying on trust of the central organizers in terms of like what they decide to take a vote on versus just opposed to, you know, do on their own. You know, it's a big question. For people who aren't as familiar with DAOs, I want to do like a reset or at least some sort of explanation on why this was so out of the ordinary and interesting. Yeah, why this was super interesting. I guess it's sort of what Lucas was talking about in terms of just from the journalistic perspective, it's really hard and really unconventional to cover an organization that is really calling itself fully decentralized. There are no leaders. Like, who do you go to for a comment? There's no one you can see as a central decision maker. So in a way, it was just this chaos that happened on the internet and a bunch of people mobilized really quickly around the goal. And I think what a lot of people were really impressed with, regardless of how you feel about DAOs, is the fact that this group was able to, within just the span of a couple of days, put together a goal, raise over $40 million for it, and actually execute the bid at the auction. So I think that was really impressive in terms of just the, the speed at which it happened and, and the scale. And I think that represents, you know, the, some potential for future organizations who want to organize in that way. So uh, Anita, to, really, this was more of a financial flash mob than a, a fully yeah. functioning DAO, essentially. That's, that's a great way to put it. And I think that's one of the interesting things, too. We were talking about, you know, democracy and, and voting rights and everything. And one of the interesting things to note is that with the token that the DAO actually issued, the token is the mechanism to vote. So however many tokens you have, that's however many votes you have to um, have input on the state, on the issues that the DAO is going to be voting on and considering. So I thought it was really interesting because if you donated more, you got more tokens in exchange. So I guess that begs another question of like, is this actually truly decentralized and everyone's on an equal playing field? Or is it just another mechanism where those who have the money and the means have more decision-making power? Yeah. Yeah, that's stupid. Why would you, do we need another fucking way to get rich people more power? Are they fucking struggling right now? Have you seen the tax code? Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Alex. All you people didn't like it when Sam Altman wanted to scan your eyeball so that you only got one vote in the, in the token. I've met Sam. Is Sam, anything good enough for you? Sa Sam, is, Sam is nice. I'm also not going to give Sam my retina scans. I don't, you know, like I feel weird that I gave Apple my face. <laughs> With the Constitution DAO, I was I was happy to see that the Discord wasn't token gated. Like for the Board Apes Yacht Club, you need a very specific credential, aka this very expensive NFT, in order to get access to the community. But I feel like when you're trying to convince a lot of people to understand a nascent concept like Web three, 
and what it means to organize online for like maybe buying something, but probably not. You need a lower barrier to entry. So I feel like that's just my long way of transitioning into what are like the use cases that we are excited about with DAOs? Like when this works, what are the opportunities we feel like people will now be able to take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think talking about this like a flash mob is definitely, you know, that's how it functionally looks. And I think that that's how a lot of DAOs have kind of functionally spun up. Like, I guess, like, how do you decide how to start one of these? Usually it's for a specific purpose. And then after you complete that specific purpose, you're like, all right, we have all these people together. We have all these wallet addresses connected by something. We all have some sort of shared interest. What do we do now? And so a lot of DAOs have kind of, you know, started with buying a really expensive NFT and then they've grown into, you know, buying more expensive NFTs or doing some like, you know, something else that they all kind of have like some general thesis that's maybe not as much a thesis as any other VC firm has a thesis, but it's a direction that they're all going in. I, I think DAOs simply to buy individual assets with the hope of rapid appreciation are boring because we already have coins for that and we already have new chains for that. And like, you know, what is a coin if not for a pump and dump? So what I'm more interested in from the DAO perspective is what happens when a, like a band, for example, let's say Trivium, a band that I'm, I've been obsessed with since high school. Uh, let's say they put together a DAO. You could buy a Trivium token. You get a vote and you could like, I don't know, vote on the designs for their next vinyls. Like that would be cool. I would love to have a say in that. And so to me, if it's a way to bring in kind of like community voting to niche musical groups or whatever, I, that would be really fun. But like, why do we need to pool money together to buy a, a bored ape? I mean, my God, who cares? It's a bunch of pixels. I mean, you know, ultimately, like a lot of the DAOs that are actually popular right now aren't like NFT buying DAOs or constitution buying DAOs. They're DAOs to govern protocols that a lot of these companies run on. So like, you know, a company like Rarible or something, they're an NFT marketplace. They have a governance token and people can buy into the platform and then they can basically make decisions about how the platform kind of matures through broad strokes. Is it a real vote? Do you actually get a real vote? Because like I was thinking about a lot of these major chains like Solana, wasn't that pre-mined before it kind of came out? Like what's the chance that you actually get a material say in a DAO? I mean, that's like one of the broader questions about whether crypto is truly revolutionary or if it's just kind of a reset of, you know, where value's entrenched, which, you know, eh. <laughs> there's a great point to be made for the latter. The education is so... I mean, it's not a hot take, but there's so much education that needs to be done for, for like the average human who isn't living and breathing Web3 to understand this. And Anita, I know we talked about like why stunt purchases have a value, but I'm wondering now that there's been a few days that have gone by since the sale didn't happen to the Constitution DAO, like how are you feeling about this stunt purchase? Like, do you think it had the intended impact or, you know, did it confuse people more? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it maybe did confuse people more. And I think like, like Lucas was saying, NFT buying DAOs or DAOs that just mobilized to buy like a certain expensive item or document or piece of work, they aren't the most common use case. Like that's not usually what I think of when I think of the future utility of DAOs. I would think of applications like a lot of the decentralized lending platforms are running based on DAOs. So I think of it more as like a corporate governance mechanism that could be used. And I think because there was so much attention and so much hype around the constitution DAO, people might start to think like that's really the main use case that we're going to see coming out of this. And almost like lose the story because um, they're focusing on the meme. So that's a concern that I definitely have. Yeah. Lose the story by focusing on the meme feels like such a theme of this year. Yeah. It takes up a lot of like the attention and then gets hopes high too. Like I think the Gizmodo piece brought this up, but like I get why people thought that putting money into buying the constitution was going to make them rich one day. I get why they didn't read the fine print, but I also don't get whose responsibility it is to help the average person read the fine print. 
Well, and I think that's also really yeah. interesting because they had this part on ownership, right? And a lot of people who were buying into this thought that they would actually own a piece of the U.S. Constitution. But the Dow very clearly on their website actually stated, you're not going to be an owner of the Constitution. All you're going to own is the governance token that gives you the right to vote. And I know, Natasha, you, you had some conversations with um, members of the Dow, and it was sort of, if I recall correctly, they said it was sort of a legal thing, and they had to say that in order to make sure they were giving the right disclosures to their community. Totally. Lucas, did you have something you wanted to add on that note? It's, it's incredibly interesting, the lengths of which these places are just going to, you know, say we're not a security or like this isn't, you know, this isn't a security at all. And it's hilarious because like this is like, you know, they have to they have to say this like you're not owning part of this constitution because like who buys things at Sotheby's not for the purpose of them being appreciating assets that right. they eventually sell for more money. Like that is that's a thousand percent. It's just completely comical. You know, if you go to some of these like platforms like Rally or something where they like, you know, IPO a Ferrari and then you can buy fractionalized assets on them. It's like a securitized like public offering. Like these are all securities. And this is exactly what the you know, what this would be like with the Constitution if they actually like fractionalize shares of it. So as a result, they just have to, you know, make it into some fake entity that they're saying, you know, this is kind of the Constitution, but it's really just a pool of tokens. So let, let's back up and summarize. Nicolas Cage was in a movie. The Constitution <laughs> got popular. There weren't very many. One was coming up for auction. Some nerds, and I don't say that as a pejorative because welcome to equity. It's a nerd-friendly zone. Uh, decided to buy one of the copies. They put together a pseudo-DAO. They collected $40 million net of gas fees. Then they lost to the, Ken, uh, Ken Griffin over at Citadel, I think it was. Yes. Which was his, oh, he wouldn't even talk about that yet. Can we talk about that? Oh, no, that? there's two more Sorry, things to get there. There's, there's the Ken Griffin component, <laughs> and then there's the next bit. And they paid massive gas fees to get their money into this DAO, which would not give them access to the Constitution, but access to a governance token that may let them influence where it's displayed. Ugh. Then they didn't buy it. And then to get their money back out, they had to either eat enormous gas fees or take payment in a governance token that may or may not have any value whatsoever. Innovation? It's just, I'm struggling to not, to not kind of laugh at this because it was so much money and so much enthusiasm. And, uh, you know, why, why are we throwing money at this? I, I will, I will jump on that just to, you know, explain, I don't know how much you guys have talked about gas fees on, on equity. No, we haven't. Thank you, but then, give, us the, that, give us the download. Them just as an idea. So like, you know, Ethereum is a network that is, it completes very few transactions compared to like a platform like Visa or something like that. Like you have to, you have to work really hard and pay a lot of money in order to get your transaction onto the blockchain, onto the next block that gets approved. So as a result, things are slow, things are expensive. And you can end up paying like $20 in fees to put $40 into something or way higher. Yeah. What, what do you think, Alex? I mean, I, I tried to buy an NFT once uh, to write a story about this for, for TechCrunch. So I, I bought a little Ethereum on Coinbase and then I paid a fee to move it to MetaMask and then I had to use it on OpenSea. And to buy a free NFT cost more money in gas fees than I had left over in ETH by the end of that transaction spree. It was like $75 wow. for a transaction. And, you know, I'm all about distributed currencies i think digital money is a great idea i'm a big fan of the idea behind DAOs, but my beef is with the current implementation of this tech because it sucks it's miserable and it's slow yeah. and expensive and just not good like it's not better yet it's still worse i guess the best way to put it is that there's currently like an ethereum highway and everyone's trying to put a car onto the highway and there are all these vc firms right now who are backing essentially public transportation on these highways where they're trying to put you know a train and a lot of people can put their transactions into this one block 
that can in turn go onto the you know onto this road. This is a great analogy. That is a good analogy. And, that, and Lucas, you're describing level two chains on top of Ethereum yes. itself. Yes. Yeah. So those are like they're Ethereum scaling solutions, and there are, there are a few companies just this year that I've covered that have you know turned into unicorns and are you know I, I'd say like you know five or ten percent of all of the crypto unicorns are Ethereum scaling solutions. Yeah. Just one thing I want to throw out there. I think part of the reason that other blockchains outside of Ethereum have gained a lot of traction is because their gas fees can be lower. Like Solana, for example, has seen a lot of adoption recently, and it's just not as expensive to transact on there. So it'll be interesting to see if any DAOs on different blockchains start taking off versus Ethereum. Got a question about that. I know that uh, Lucas and Anita, NFTs have been very popular on the Ethereum blockchain. To me, it has become the de facto place where do you own an NFT. Like if you own an NFT somewhere else, it hasn't seemed as as real per se. Is Solana and their NFT game, is that beginning to ramp up to match the kind of in-market heft that ETH and Ethereum have? I think ETH just has really concentrated trust right now. So they do have really high market share um, in terms of NFTs. Like people want to transact on the Ethereum blockchain because they know about it. They know what it is. They trust it. They feel like their their money is somewhat safer there. And a lot of these newer protocols, people are just not as informed. But I do think that they will gain some traction. And I think we're going to see that in the future with people just getting fed up with the high fees. Yeah, Solana's taken off a little bit lately just because their coin has like gone up exponentially in the past few months. So I think a lot of the people who are like market shareholders of Solana coins want to see like its world expand. So they're kind of like re- they're investing more in NFT projects. So if you start some dumb Solana NFT company, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been successful in Ethereum where there are 10,000 profile pick NFT projects. But people who are big Solana holders want these projects to take off. So maybe they invest in your thing on Solana. Got it. I want to end on a happier note because I feel like we've obviously been pretty bearish. Fairly so, because I think crypto needs a critical lens. <laughs> but I, I guess I want to know like what you guys think has changed from this purchase, from the Constitution DAO, but more broadly, like just how many people are starting to care and talk and tweet about Web3 slash crypto slash NFT slash DAOs. We can go in order of my screen. So Alex, Lucas, Anita, and then I'll end. I would say things like this are great for building kind of initial awareness. But, you know, frankly, I think we're kind of past the early consumer adoption phase of crypto. Coinbase and Robinhood and a bunch of other platforms have made it relatively easy to purchase a little bit of crypto. Using it is a bit harder. But we've kind of reached that step. And so to me, I, I'm still waiting for the, the killer blockchain app that I just can't not use. And I, I, I'm trying to tinker. I've been covering, you know, we mentioned Lucas covering crypto for a long time. I mean, me too. I mean, I, I wrote my first Bitcoin story in 2013, mm-hmm. which is descending into the past pretty quickly. And I'm still overall enthused by the ideas behind it. I just, I, I just don't know if a little bit more consumer adoption is going to make it more of an exciting product to use day to day, month to month. And like, I'm the target demo. I'm a 32 year old boring man who has a few dollars. Like, I mean, like it should be right up my alley, but instead I, I only find it as a tool for experimentation to keep up with trends. And that's, that to me is still the cardinal sin versus a lack of uh, general awareness. Lucas, as a dude in your late twenties, if I can mm. say your age, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's just like, I, I'm I'm very torn on how to feel about some of this stuff sometimes. Like, you know, a, a lot of times when I'm talking to NFT companies or I'm talking to, you know, people who are organizing DAOs, I'm just like, you know, if people are fundamentally trusting the people who are either the founders or the core project members to kind of direct the project into the future, like, you know, how would this benefit by having a decentralized structure as opposed to kind of like living on a centralized server, you know, being a centralized startup. Like there's certain elements of it that are just like, 
you know, it sounds revolutionary. And I think there are specific use cases where it can be, but I think a lot of the use cases that are being explored right now could just as easily be normal Web2 startups. So, you know, DAOs are fascinating because <laughs> I guess I guess a lot of the crypto stuff fascinating because, you know, what makes it seem revolutionary is the fact that if you did it in Web2 world, it would just be straight up illegal versus in Web3 world. It's like, eh, who knows? <laughs> like, you're going to you're going to tell us it's illegal this week, Gary Gensler? I don't think so. He'll probably tell us in like four years. So it's just kind of like, eh, like illegality <laughs> is the is the revolution. Damn, that is so well said. That is definitely the headline. Yeah, that's done. <laughs> Anita, what is your kind of now, like, I guess, day 10 takeaway? No, I think that's hilarious what, what Lucas just said. And that's so true that a lot of applications that we see as crypto use cases now are like they could have just as easily been built on Web2, but there are other legal limitations, right? But I, I do want to take a little bit of a bullish view for a second here and just want to yes. kind of bring into the conversation that I, I find this really interesting, right? I think that crypto and DAOs and even this constitution DAO has a lot of potential and maybe the people around it are sort of idealistic, but I think what it represents is like a departure from the traditional finance world. And I've read a lot of stats on how like women and people of color are more interested in investing in crypto than they are in traditional equities. I think this constitution DAO shows that we could be on the brink of something that has potential to be subversive. And it's really funny, right? Because Ken Griffin ended up winning the, the auction. He's the one who ended up buying the document, and he's been really skeptical of crypto very publicly. He's such a clear representation of the old guard in traditional finance. And I think people got you know, really excited about this because there are so many use cases for crypto and for DAOs and for these decentralized structures that people don't always think of. Like We do think of the 30-year-old guy who's you know, trading crypto for fun on Robinhood. But then there's also these cases like sending remittances or you know, transferring payments when there are oppressive governments involved. And I think those are things I always try to keep top of mind. And while a lot of the exuberance around Constitution DAO was just like funny internet meme stuff, I think there is something very real there about pushing back against the traditional financial system that has historically excluded a lot of folks. Go off. I mean, 13% of contributors to the Constitution DAO were using ETH for the first time and 44% had contributed with less than 40 transactions to their name. So I feel like that's when it hit me that it was introducing people that had at least been left out or were too overwhelmed by the way that crypto and alternative assets were explained, we're now kind of going on board. So I feel like that is similarly where I find a lot of optimism. And I, I, I'm just honestly hoping for a rebrand eventually. Like, I think the way that Dapper Labs made NFTs palpable to the average person is what DAOs need as well. Like there needs to be reality and people need to think about legal ramifications but I do think there's like a, a hope that I have that's rebranded to a way that it's more accessible and understood so that people don't think that they're going to make millions overnight, but they are going to at least understand like the value they can have by joining this kind of community. Any last closing thoughts on wonderful Ken doing his thing? I will save Alex Wilhelm's Twitter mentions by noting that uh, Nick Cage stole the Declaration of Independence no! from the no! Constitution. <laughs> we didn't even catch him. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't want to. You were going off, and I didn't want to interrupt you then. But I, I'm just. I'm just trying to help you out at this point. <laughs> we have to keep this in the show. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna move to Canada. <laughs> and that's Can't equity thank you guys for joining us lucas anita thank you for joining the show alex we will find you with wherever um we'll, we'll check out your dms later today. <laughs>